Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the local church in counseling and discipleship. I'm your host, Mike Van Dyke, followed by Shauna Van Dyke and Jeremy Lellick. Jeremy and Shauna, we are back in the studio and we've got a lot to talk about. We are going to be focusing today on God and counseling, more specifically counseling with God in mind. Counseling with God in mind. Terrific. So, man, let's jump right into it. Jeremy, you got a couple of chapters that we're going to jump into in your book. Excellent. All right, let's do it. Well, I think when we're talking about counseling with God in mind, um, we automatically recognize as believers that we're counseling from a very different location than the secular person. Um, I like to go to Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 13. And Paul writes this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So salvation for us isn't just a heart change. It's also a change in location. Uh, It's what Augustine would refer to as the city of God and the city of man. So we as believers live existentially in a different place than the non-believer. And in that, uh, we go from being exclusively egocentric, all about self and the I, uh, to being theocentric. And God is helping us by a spirit to live more and more of our lives moment by moment with a theocentric or God-centered perspective. And I stole those, uh, those phrases from Dr. Eric Johnson, by the way, uh, in his book, God and Soul Care. But given that location, uh, we also are given a new purpose for everything we do in life. We, it, this is captured also with Paul, who didn't leave anything to the mundane. So he says things like this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So the final aim, the telos of our Christian lives and definitely the telos or the final aim of biblical counseling is centered in God's glory. Well, that's really cool because saying, you know, as a believer, our purpose is to glorify God and to make him known. And then, okay, well then naturally in biblical counseling, it'd be the same thing. Yes. And so I love in your chapter, not only do you break down God's attributes, his incommunicable attributes, which are the attributes that are all about God and only about him, but also the communicable attributes, which are God's attributes, his characters that we through Christ being a believer in Christ that we then can obtain and mature in. And not only do you talk about these attributes, but you actually relate them to a case. And so I love the fact that Mm. if you're out there as a counselor and discipler, well, we all are technically. So yes, if you're listening and a a believer, you are, you can take um, this, this chapter and actually read, what does it look like when we know that God is omniscient and he's all knowing not only how does that affect us and how we live differently, but then how can we encourage others to do that too? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, kind of what was your heart behind the chapter just to um, encourage us in that way? Well, I would say that probably drew my thoughts for this particular chapter from something that John Calvin said in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He said this, again, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descended from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. Mm. So the whole objective of self-knowledge, of knowing uh, what's wrong with me, knowing where I need to be moving, is centered in the knowledge of God, as far as as we're able to know him through what he's revealed about himself in the scripture. So I felt in a biblical counseling book, if we're really 
working to help people understand themselves, it always has to have a frame of reference. And that for us is the God of scripture. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I like a quote by uh, A.W. Tozer who says, it's not just knowing about God, but knowing God and having Mm -hmm. that intimate fellowship and relationship with him. And then, and then obviously how do we naturally live differently through that? So what are your thoughts, Michael? Uh, Well, I I could go on a long time with that. uh, But I would just say in response to that is, you know, it's easy for us to think about that when we're in Sunday service, but Mm-hmm. When we're in actual a counseling section, it's a lot diff- a lot more difficult to help our people realize that, no, it really is about God's glory and how do I see myself in and through that reality? Yes. So. And this is where a, a very prominent theme within biblical counseling might be captured in the phrase, life is worship. Our hearts are continually operating in the presence of a holy God. I believe it was Jay Adams in Competent to Counsel uh, that said, God is our atmosphere, not mm-hmm. meaning that he is the atmosphere, but that mm-hmm. we swim in the presence of God moment mm-hmm. by moment. And when we're brought from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, now we're given the privilege moment by moment, whether we eat, whether we drink, how we talk to our spouse, how we're disciplining our children, what we do when we're wrestling with a struggle with depression, how we respond when we're feeling anxious, what we do when we're trapped by the struggle of addiction, all of that is ultimately should be in terms of overcoming those things should be centered in worship. And it is centered in worship, worship of something. And our objective in biblical counseling is to, by God's grace and by his spirit, to make that object of worship primarily at some point, hopefully exclusively God. Yes. Ooh, that's awesome. And that's a beautiful thing when we meet people where they are in counseling. That's so when we make that statement, we meet people where they are as we realize that their worship orientation is not on God. It's mm-hmm. on self. It's on horizontal. It kind of goes back to Romans chapter one, where we worship and serve creation as opposed to the creator. And that's always a worship problem. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times in counseling, we're, we're redirecting that worship. Yes. Uh, and it takes a while. So that's, Really, when we make that statement, we meet them where they are. That's true, but we want to get them to where you're, where you're saying. Yes. Their worship needs to be reoriented with the Lord. Yeah, and so. you can't love God unless you know God um, because God is love, you know? And so... Um, so, I would, I, go ahead. I would love to hear uh, from Michael because I know you're teaching a lot in your church right now. Mm-hmm. And so, Shauna mentions these words that are in this chapter, words like... Uh, omniscience, uh, omnipotence, immutability, um, eternality, sovereignty. Uh, My assumption is when the average person hears those words, they might feel a disconnect from those because they just categorize them in this uh, academic place of theology. Uh, How do we bring those kind of things, those words that are very relevant to every day, how do we bring them down to real time where it's something that we're aware of and, and operating from. Yeah. And, and to answer that, Jeremy, well, a couple of things. So it, kind of more in my context, you know, as discipleship pastor where, uh, where I'm at, uh, here recently, Sean and I went and, you know, taught the youth, uh, ministry on fear and anxiety today in our culture. There's a lot of people who would identify themselves as struggling with anxiety because that's a flippant term. Everybody's anxious. Everybody, mm-hmm. And so really what we did is we tried to meet them by using those terms to say, okay, well, let's identify what fear and anxiety really truly is. 
like in the general sense, the conventional definition, and then we would then we would give them a biblical definition and show them what it looks like biblically and how it's applied, and really using Bible stories, the Bible stories that you know that we read that a lot of us are familiar with if we've been in church for a long time, we're restating those stories. We're, you know, reevaluating them and, and acknowledging in that story that there's, there's a human element of fear and anxiety in what's happening when mm-hmm. that individual is, uh, when their fear is focused on a horizontal or the fear of man or their fear is coming out of their desires. And so we had to, at a very, well, I guess kind of an eighth grade level, at least try to just bring out that terminology, but it didn't negate the terminology. We still, reference the terminology, define terms, and then let's have our discussion. Um, And I would just say to anybody uh, who's thinking about these ideas, Jeremy, to your point is we have to define terms. The culture is very good about using terms and then using that definition any way that they want to. Mm. And we just, you know, in a way of kind of what I would say is easy believism uh, is we just, we just take that at face value because the culture does it. It's trendy. Okay. So I guess I'm just going to go along with it. Not realizing the culture is no different in using terminology to help change a culture. Mm-hmm. So, so if I'm going to take kind of Jeremy's uh, question with the actual terms of God, based off the example, you gave a fear of anxiety, you know, it's natural saying, okay, God is omniscient where he's all knowing someone who is very anxious and fearful can get a lot of comfort from that. Knowing that God knows it all. I don't have to be anxious and worry and figure things out, but go to the God who's all knowing. And so knowing God's incommunicable attributes is very, very uh, comforting, reassuring. It provides a lot of peace and refuge. You know, the the idea of God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere at once. It, it's saying, okay, I know that I'm never alone. And, and, and when I direct my worship and who I'm worshiping in, I'm not just worshiping someone, you know, God, obviously that is um, just here, but somebody who contains space, who is all powerful and again, knows it all. But the other part is the accountability of saying he's everywhere in a way that I can't hide my sins. Mm -hmm. And so now there's that accountability part of what we've talked in previous episodes of being intentional um, and walking with people, even in the intensive discipleship part of saying, uh, yeah, you might be getting away from not letting me know right now what you're going through, but our all knowing God who's everywhere. You can't hide from him. And so if we were just to start there and approach, what do you think you're hiding from God? Now can, how can we expound and attack that together? Yeah. And, and that kind of goes back to actually the last, the last part of Jeremy's question is, you know, what do I do in that context? So after we, you know, worked with the youth, what I'm doing on Fridays is with the men's Bible study, going through precious remedies, uh, against Satan's devices. That's one of those, that's one of those precious remedies. So the device that Satan will use is to get man to focus on what are, what are the, the pleasures of life? In other words, how can I present life to where you can take advantage of God's mercy mm. and enjoy these things, but yet hide the consequence or the misery of it. Right. And mm. so what we'll, what we're doing through this particular study is helping them realize the, the terminology that we're using and helping them realize that, Hey, listen, um, God is, we're always going back and forth with God uh, in the sense of spiritual warfare. We're like, our hearts are always positioned some direction. They're either positioned towards him or they're positioned towards ourself. And Satan's always, his aim is always to get our hearts away from God and focused on our ourselves so that we're mitigating pain and maximizing pleasure. Mm-hmm. And how does he get, how does he draw man to sin through that? And so when we're back in the counseling context is 
we're helping people understand that those terms and there's implications in those terms that we're using because we know that whatever struggle, whatever circumstance they're in to bring it back to God's glory is that God's using these things. They're not purposeless, you know? Uh, And that's actually one of the things that actually this past Friday that we talked about is just realizing the vanity of life in this earth is that not vanity kind of back to the self-esteem thing that we talked about last episode, but realizing that, Vanity in the biblical context, when it comes to like, even in the Hebrew or the Greek, it's this idea of emptiness, nothingness that like it's, it's vacuous. It doesn't, it's purposeless. It has no, it has no eternality to it. It's just very temporal and today and here today, gone tomorrow type of thing. So how do we, and again, back to the biblical counseling piece with starting with God is when we come back and realize that when we focus on God now all of a sudden I know he's everywhere at all times. Now all of a sudden these terms that we, you know, it's not just sounding theological to sound theological. Like it actually has implications for my soul. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I love that. And biblical counseling is very much rooted in faith. So the change process is often a faith process. Mm. um, As we see in Hebrews 11, uh, faith defined. Yeah. And um, so if, if it's a faith journey, it's not necessarily a symptom relief journey. We hope symptoms are alleviated. We hope people get better, but ultimately it's a faith journey of, of truly applying what I should be knowing about God, even when things are not completely fixed. Mm. One of the examples I give in the book under omnipresence is maybe when, if a person is struggling with depression or some form of suffering that they go to Lamentations 3 and read that and begin to journal on Jeremiah's experience. And here, here's the gist of Lamentations 3. The first 20 verses, you're hearing Jeremiah cry out violently to the Lord, saying things like, you have uh, pierced my kidneys with arrows. You're causing my teeth to grind on gravel. And this is when he was in the pit, waiting to die. And you hear him in those first uh, 19 verses or so, just crying out to God in absolute misery, almost indicating that God was evil or that God was against him or that God was just punishing him for no good reason. Well, think about his ministry, 40. Uh, I want to go ahead. I want to come back to that though, because there was something that I was reading that speaks to that. So, so, so then in verse 20, you see this divine, beautiful cognitive shift. And he says, but this came to mind and therefore I had hope. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And in that moment, God helped Jeremiah remember he was there. Mm -hmm. And he helped him remember that even in this terrible moment of suffering, my mercy is with you. My kindness is with you. And it changed Jeremiah's whole perspective. His situation was not better, but his perspective, because he remembered God, Mm -hmm. he remembered his presence, he remembered his mercy, his experience as a human being changed. And then when you hear him after the, that verse, he continues to talk about his suffering, but not in the God is causing my teeth to grind on gravel kind of way. But he begins to say things like, it's good that a man should sit with his face in the dust. The Lord is not causing this terrible thing for nothing. And so you, you see his whole perspective of suffering begin to change, and he recognizes there's something bigger going on here uh, than what my suffering is telling me. There's a God who is present. There is a God who is comforting and sustaining me. 
Yeah, that's that's so that's good. That's different than prosperity gospel, huh? <sighs> that's, yeah. A biblical worldview embraces the idea that suffering is an aspect of the human experience. God uses hardship to mature believers so they lack in nothing. Mm-hmm. That's and that's actually Hebrews 12. Book, yeah. Yes. No, that's good. And, and what I was going to say to that point, Jeremy, in Precious Remedies Against uh, Satan's Devices, uh, one of the things he talks about is he talks about uh, where man needs to be careful in recognizing the difference between God's heart and God's hand. A lot of times what happens is, is when we say God's hand, really that's looking at my life circumstantially, mm-hmm. you know, like the pain, the suffering, the things that we're looking at. So for a, for a biblical story that, that demonstrates that if you look at Joseph, for all ongoing audience that's looking at Joseph's life, at the surface level, it looks like God's hand is against him. Therefore, God's heart must be against him yes. because of thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. Wrongly uh, accused. Right. However, God's favor was on Joseph no matter where he was in that circumstance, which demonstrates God's heart. Now, on the flip side of that, you look at King Saul, where it looks like, you know, prosper, you know, the prosperity of everything. Well, God's heart was against Saul. That's good. And then you, and you don't realize that till the end of the narrative, like his end was, was, was ugly. Mm-hmm. It, it was sad. And so, and that's really kind of where we are when it comes to a, a biblical counseling perspective and understanding God rightly is recognizing that God's hand upon us circumstantially, even though it may be full of pain and, and tumultuous and there's suffering involved, but what God is producing in and through that is drawing us to his heart, which is the whole purpose and plan of all of that. So yeah, that's another good book that I just, that, excuse me, that I'm going through with these men and helping them realize that their circumstances, like we need to realize there's a difference between God's hand and God's heart. And sometimes we get them mixed up. Yes. That's so, so good. Yeah. And I think that's where God's attributes comes into play because it tells us some about who he is and his heart towards his people. Um, mercy kindness, love, uh, beauty, all of those things. So when we're in the most difficult moments as Christians walking in a fallen world, to come back and really meditate, not to minimize the suffering, not to minimize the pain, right. but but make it part of our practice to come back and meditate on the reality that as hard as this is, I can be comforted with the fact that the kindest, most loving, merciful person is presiding over this. Mm. And it's for omniscient purposes. He knows the purpose. I don't necessarily see the purpose. I'm finite, but I can rest in, in this idea that yes, he is omniscient and omnipotent, but he's also in that omnipotence is there is kindness, there is love, there is mercy, there is compassion. And that can bring hope just like Jeremiah when he was there in the pit. Mm. We talked about worship earlier. And when I heard you um, say finite, you know, it reminded me of being a finite creature. We have bounds, we have limits. And yet so often we try to to live outside of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really where we start worshiping ourselves or, or wanting to be in control, which, um, you know, kind of shifts our conversation a little bit about God's sovereignty, where from a counseling standpoint, a lot of the things that I get is, well, if God's in control, one, why is he allowing this to happen? Which I think we've kind of hit on that of, you know, obviously there's a plan and purpose in it. But also I've gotten the question of, well, then what's the point of praying? You know, why am I praying if God's in control and he, he's all knowing? So sometimes when you learn these attributes, it can get you thinking in that type of, mm-hmm. you know, mind shift. And so how would you encourage um, the person in that? So, you know, kind of what's the purpose in praying if God is in control? Well, really quickly to 
before you jump in on that, Jeremy, I just want to say what's funny about what you read about Jeremiah is that is him praying out, crying mm-hmm. out to the Lord. And when you actually look at prayer biblically, the biblical theology of prayer, it started out with man calling out to the Lord. You don't actually see prayer being used until until right around the New Testament. There's only a couple of references in the Old Testament that actually use the word prayer. Everything else is used as calling out to the Lord. And Jeremiah, that's what he was doing. He was calling out to the Lord and he acknowledged his pain. And so his prayer and suffering and everything that he was doing it changed his perspective. His his story is one that I've actually referred back to in times that I've actually gotten weary, realizing he's in what, 40 years of ministry, correct me if I'm wrong, 40 years of ministry, and really sees no fruit in all of his faith walk and journey with the Lord. Can you imagine? I mean, we're wanting to see fruit and change like right away because we're wanting that self-gratification or being satisfied immediately when here's a man who walked with the Lord and was completely faithful the conviction of things unseen and um, for a long time, I mean, 40 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. N- never seeing the fruit, not knowing. I mean, you can then take the context of what you're saying in Lamentations of his cry. Like, yeah, I, w- I would be crying that too. Yes. And wow. How cool is it that he then again redirects to and the change of the change of prayer, like to the question, why pray and in, in question to God's sovereignty? It's not. It's changing man's heart. Yes. And that's what's happening in Jeremiah in that particular piece in Lamentations 3 is you see the posture of his heart change. Mm -hmm. Well, there that goes back to you talking about fear and anxiety earlier, fear of man or fear of like these worldly circumstances and back to the vertical of fear of the Lord being in awe and right reverence of him, having that right perspective is another word we used. And so knowing his attributes, knowing about God and being in that intimate fellowship with him um, redirects that perspective and, and, and really drives the motives behind why we do what we do. Um, but I don't want to walk away from that question that y'all might be trying to avoid on why do we pray if God's in control? No, we definitely want to get to that. Oh. But Jeremy, I kind of stopped and while Jeremy oh. was mid thought, I think. Okay. No, you got, those are great thoughts. And I think Mike is hitting a part of the answer to that question that prayer to a large degree is about changing the heart. Dr. David Pallison uh, from Christian Counseling and Education Foundation Uh, I heard him once in a presentation talk about heat prayers and heart prayers Mm. and not to, not to ignore the heat prayer, but you know, the heat prayer is please alleviate my depression. Please alleviate my anxiety. Please make my marriage better. Very good prayers. We need to be calling upon the Lord for all of those things. But sometimes we pray heat prayers to the exclusion of heart prayers. And I think that's what happened in Lamentations that Jeremiah's heart changed. And because his heart changed, his whole experience in the pit changed. And so a, a part of prayer and, and praying is that God, we have to continually have this mindset, uh, according to Romans 8, 28 and 29, that God is using all things, all things to conform me into the image of Christ. So part of my prayer is, Lord, I beg you, heal this fractured marriage. But until that happens, conform me into your image change my heart. Give me a love for someone that feels like my enemy. Help me learn how to have compassion for his or her brokenness. So I think that's a big piece of prayer. That's huge. I think also uh, prayer reorients us around uh, the creator of the universe. Uh, It reorients us around the one who is sovereignly working out his perfect plans in everything. So our tendency, because our hearts are deceitful, our tendency 
is to go back to that old place of egocentrism, of self-centeredness in life. Um, and prayer brings us back into right understanding in the universe that there is someone out there who cares. There's someone there who loves me. There's someone there who's working in this situation for my good. And it's my job to trust him. So just prayer itself and meditation just brings us back center stage to what this whole thing is all about in the mm-hmm. first place. And, and, and mentioning as you're praying, you were mentioning of us being in our perspective of, of who God is. Yes. Um, knowing who he is and his character and nature is driving that prayer, um, which is really good. So Michael, I want to, I want to ask you from the sovereignty part, could you break down for our listeners, the difference between God's will of decree and God's will of command? And um, maybe that will will give some clarity on um, God being in control versus our part in in that. You like to hit me with these loaded questions, don't you? Yeah, Johnny you, on the spot. You can do Here we it. Go. Johnny on the spot. Well, uh, I just think it, man. I get in so many conversations, and it's so important. And when you think about counseling with God in mind, understanding His His sovereignty in the correct way, yeah. really allows us to to fully uh, understand why we're um, wanting to apply the scriptures to our life, or or applying it properly. I might say. Yeah, um, and yeah, that's right. And and Jeremy, I obviously want to include you and in, and. In, have you engaged in this thought too? There is so much theology that matters in our conversations. And I think a lot of times in our conversations, we ask all these questions and we never, we never ask the question thinking about our theology. Mm. Does that make sense? Like we'll ask the question from that egocentric place. Yeah. Not ever really asking in the question to ask it to confront my theology or putting God on the stand. And I think at least I want to at least start in, in, in this part of the conversation and encouraging or really admonishing um, maybe those who struggle with this, but begin to think through when you're asking these type of why questions, when we're asking these why questions, we need to be thinking about our theology, confronting our theology and giving God that right, proper authority and, and glory and what we're asking and coming to him uh, with a posture in our hearts that says, I don't understand it. I'm trying to, hence, here's my why, why God this, why God that. Um, so that's how I would immediately start that particular part of the question is realizing. So you're not trying to avoid it. You're just. No, oh, okay. I, I, I'm saying this to kind of preface my response, but also give an admonishment slash encouragement to those who are asking these questions. I at least want to address the way that we're asking these yeah, questions. Um, but as far as God's decree, his decretive will, Um, and this is, again, this is a 2000 year old argument, depending on who you're talking to denominationally and uh, people's theology. Um, but as far as where we stand, um, and, and, and I would, I would think that Jeremy uh, concurs with this position theologically also is God's permissive will and his decretive will, um, God, he doesn't want me to break his commandments. He doesn't want me to cheat on my wife. He doesn't want me to lie to my spouse. He doesn't want me to lie at work. He doesn't want me to do these things. And then technically I can break them. So he does, he, he, he's not creating it or creating the sin. No, he's not creating the sin. It, but this is, this is where the creature begins to, excuse me, begins to get very boastful and prideful and presumptuous in his, in his heart and asking and questioning God, um, that, this is where the creator has, he's more free than we could possibly ever be. 
this is where, you know, man will start talking about, well, don't we have free will and all this? Well, the reality is, is God is more free of, of, of a being than we could possibly ever be. He, he only does anything according to his nature. He mm-hmm. can't do anything mm-hmm. outside Good. of his nature. Mm-hmm. He can't um, lie. He can't lie. He can't. Yeah. So the, there, God is always, always acting. He is pure act. He's mm-hmm. always acting. So when we talk about, well, doesn't, if you're telling me that God causes it, then that would make him responsible for evil. No, he's outside of that. And that's where the sovereignty. It's almost our way of passing the blame of saying, you know, the sin in my life, instead of taking ownership and repenting and confessing it, we want to say, oh, you know. Yeah. So to that. Well, God's so, really in control or the enemy. We pass the blame to the enemy a lot. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, th- this is this is a loaded question. So um, maybe we should have a, a whole other podcast just on this. Yeah, but just really quick on that, because we we definitely will have those type of questions. Mm-hmm. I certainly want to have a lot more theologically driven conversation because all of this is applicable to our counseling for sure. Mm-hmm. But even as we're talking about with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and we're if we're truly one anothering each other well, we're going to have these conversations. Yes. We should always be thinking about theology because if we're growing in our knowledge and grace of God, these questions will naturally come up mm-hmm. and we, we want to encourage people to have these, these conversations. Sure. This is healthy. Yes. Uh, this allows us to get to know God. But lastly, I would say on that thought, Shauna is when it comes to God's decretive will and his, uh, his ability to bring things uh, to pass, um, anything in his goodwill and pleasure. So God's sovereignty and providence. So this is kind of where this begins to take root and begins to play out as God's sovereignty. He's decreed all these things to take place. We don't know his purposes until they come about. And nothing can deviate his purpose and plan. Right. That's, that's God's decretive will. Exactly. Right. Nothing. Yes. And Job says that I believe in Job 30. Right. Uh, and I think you actually bring that out in your book. Um, is and actually it's also in in uh, precious Romans against Satan's devices too that mm-hmm. I just read. But Job and other you know other people in Scripture acknowledge God's decretive will. Like nothing will thwart the will of God. Which is that whole prayer that will be done. You know, right? Right. Um, but the permissive will, right? Um, and you and I said will of command. So right. So verbiage. I mean, yeah. Just yeah. I mean, again, this is a two thousand year old argument. So you know, it's kind of changed terminology over the years. But the simplicity of it if I could even put it simply because you can't, it's mysterious. That's why it's a difficult conversation, but it's one that should encourage us in the sense that God's permissive will is he allows us to do these things, but it's actually through that permissive will that he brings about his purposes. He hasn't, he's revealed that permissive will, like the 10 commandments, for example, the decretive will is it's mysterious. He hasn't revealed it to us. And scripture even acknowledges that like the things that, that God has revealed are for our enjoyment. And I think uh, Peter talks about that and first or second Peter, I forget. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, off the top of my head, that's kind of the thought process there. Um, of, that he doesn't want anyone to perish. That's well, that's second Peter. Yeah. That's second Peter. But, and again, that, that falls back on God's permissive will is he, he desires that no man should perish, but what do we know? Matter of fact, I just read in Luke 23, 43 about Jesus responding to the thief on the cross. The the thief to his left was mocking Jesus. That dude perished. Mm -hmm. But the thief that recognized himself, he was with he was with Christ in paradise. Like so it 
yes, it's God's will, but it doesn't necessarily mean it'll come to pass either. Right. Well, I just think, you know, thinking um, of, of this, of the, okay. So I'm just thinking with counseling with God in mind and talking right. about God's sovereignty and the will of command, permissive will, however you want to word it, you know, where you can get with someone who is saying, well, if God's in control, like what point, why am I praying, which Jeremy did a great job in explaining that, or, or really is there free will and what does that look like? And so, you know, one of my thoughts and encouragement to them is the will of command. Like God has given us commandments. We are called to be obedient. There's a lot of things, including like forgiveness. It's not technically an option. We are to forgive now how, what the follow-up after that of reconciliation and marriage after adultery or other things like that, understand that's, you know, following what, what the spirit is, is leading and guiding you in that. Um, but the, the part of the maturing process, I mean, when it comes to faith and me living out and walking out uh, my obedience to the Lord, that's where really when I grow. Right. And obviously another podcast would have to be devoted to just talking about suffering and what that really looks and how that plays out in our life. And and then obviously sovereignty will, will be able to speak and intertwine in that. But it's the thought of saying um, God is in control and despite what type of suffering will happen in our life or maybe suffering from the consequences and discipline of our sin, um, it, it's all about the maturing process and, and us, um, being obedient to, um, to really God's attributes and who he is. And even in the type that we sin and being disciplined, uh, is where his other attributes of his love and mercy and beauty comes into our life. And so it all is in this whole, um, well, it's anchored in God. I mean, here's a quote that Jeremy says in his book, uh, people cannot know themselves unless they understand their understanding is grounded in the character of God. So being anchored in God and his supreme and unchanging nature. I mean, in reality, that is the foundation of not only our lives as believers, um, how it should look different than the world, but also in our counseling and biblical counseling. So, and, and let me say one thing on, on, this whole idea of sovereignty. I love Mike's explanation and he's right on target uh, for, for listeners bringing that down to street level. Sometimes if you choose to walk into the trenches with people that are hurting, they're going to ask the question potentially, why is God allowing this? And I think a great answer is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't give you an answer, but what we do know is that he loves you. What we do know is that he's present with you. What we do know is that he's going to be faithful to you. Uh, but to answer that question, sometimes, you know, people want the answer. We don't know. Or, we want to fix it or how to fix it. Or how to fix yeah, it. Yeah, that's so good. And we and part of our practice as counselors is training people how to reason from God downward to us versus up from ourselves upward. In other mm -hmm. words, if I start with myself and my experience and reason who God is based on that, then it creates a caricature of God and a very distorted view of God. Okay. So I, I might think because my suffering is so terrible that God is mad at me or hates me or is evil or unkind or uncaring. But when I learn his attributes and when I study his attributes and when I ask the spirit to give me faith in who he has revealed himself to be, now I'm reasoning from God downward, yes. which can help Eliminate me experience mm -hmm. the, the Jeremiah thing um, where uh, circumstances may not make sense and circumstances might uh, influence me to think of God in, in a particular way. But if I know who God has revealed himself to, 
to be in Scripture through his attributes, then it gives me something to hold on to until the storm passes, if it passes. Yeah, that's good. We should end here on Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding Mm -hmm. and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I do want to just offer a couple thoughts on that. What? That was a great way to end. I know. Why are you messing it up? I don't know. Because I feel like this is necessary to say is, you know, Jeremy, you mentioned the street level about God's sovereignty. And the reality is, is when I read scripture, here's what I, here's what I see is that pain is the destroyer of pride. Mm-hmm. It humbles us. Mm-hmm. And in our human, yes, in the human spirit, the flesh, it is like, I don't like this pain. Lord, take it away. And here's what I would encourage anybody who's wrestling with that, because here's the thing. I don't want to minimize pain. I don't want to minimize suffering. It is ter- it's a terrible thing. And unfortunately, we live in a broken, fallen world, but it is being redeemed. He will consummate all these things. Amen. However, I just want to say it's actually in a worse place to be when in, in reading Romans 1, when God actually hands that person over and he spares the rod and that person actually dies mm-hmm. in what they think that they want. Yep. So when God spares the rod, that's actual judgment. Yes. So that, so when, if we're going through difficult times, let's, let's consider and think about that, that, okay, I know God has my good in mind, even though it may require me to experience a little bit of pain. But we can't forget his wrath. Right. But just realizing that pain is producing something and it goes back to what you already said uh, in, in in Romans. Um, but anyway, just, it's just so including thought. So, yeah. So wrapping it up, it's trusting the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next time.